Hey everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're gonna find two things in this feed. In this season, you're gonna find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois. And you're gonna find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're gonna find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. This is Second Peter and chapter two. We've been studying this for uh, a little while now. And uh, this is a tough one today. I want us to lean in together. This is uh, a challenging text that I want to try to preach to us. It says this, Second uh, Peter chapter 2, and starting in verse 1, it says this, But false prophets uh, arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. This uh, portion of this letter written by Peter to the church 2,000 years ago has, I think, really helpful application to you and to I in the world that we're living in today. And uh, it's this. This is what I came to say today. God will punish those who pervert his truth, but protect those who preserve it. God will punish those who pervert his truth, but protect those who preserve it. If you're imagining a moment in my office when those four Ps in that sentence came together in my mind that I felt pretty good, you would be correct. That was a good moment for me this week. God will punish those who pervert his truth, but protect those who preserve it. So uh, let me just show it to you in the text, just piece by piece. So he starts out and he says, there's false prophets, past tense, that also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. You can pause right there. So Peter's saying, do you remember there's been, over time, there's been people who came, and a false prophet is someone who, who says they're claiming to speak for God, but really they're perverting the truth about God for personal gain. You find this everywhere, right? People who are saying that they speak on behalf of God, but they're not speaking on behalf of God. They're speaking on behalf of their own selfish desires. So he says, do you remember that that happened in the past? This is all over in the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy 13, 1 Kings 22, Isaiah 9, I have a list 20 long here, Ezekiel 13, Micah 3, Zephaniah 3. It's a common theme in the Old Testament that there are people who rise up who say they're speaking for God, but they don't speak for God at all. So just put the verse back up on the screen. She says, so there were false prophets in the past, and there is false teachers among you now. Now let me tell you what false teachers do. They 
They secretly bring in destructive heresies. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. Even denying the master who bought them, and they're bringing upon themselves swift destruction. A heresy is uh, an alternate belief that may appear subtle, but it is inaccurate, and it perverts the gospel message. This is, uh, he's, so he's saying, so you got to watch out, pay attention, because you know what people are going to do? They're going to. They're going to bring in something that shifts the truth of the gospel. But they're not going to do it. Like, you would never do it if you were trying to trick somebody. You wouldn't do it loud. Like, when your teenager tries to sneak out of the house, they don't do it by pounding on the floor. They try to tiptoe, tiptoe, right? Obviously. And he's saying this happens all the time. Uh, and in our world today that emphasizes kindness, understanding, tolerance, empathy, which are all worthwhile things at the right time and in the right way, we can become so desirous of being accommodating to each other that we can lose sight of the fact that there are people, there is a demonic world that we don't always like to acknowledge as real, that are trying to shift the message that you find in the Bible about the truth of Jesus Christ to trick you, and they're trying to do it subtly. Uh, here's what I mean. I, uh, sometimes in my house, um, Kristen will get a bad headache. And uh, I know that when she says, I have a headache, I don't need to know what the next part is. It's go find the Excedrin. And uh, it's always the same. I don't know if your family does it this way. I always bring like one or two pills more than is probably reasonable. Just thinking like, I don't know. I mean, if two pills is good, four is probably better. It's kind of the way that I think. Uh, no? Okay, that freaked you out a few of you. Okay, yeah, it's just the way that, sorry, Buster. It's just the way my mind works. And, uh, but I, and then she takes the pills, drinks a little bit of water, a little bit of time goes by, her head is feeling better. But what if the next time... Uh, she, she said she had a headache. I went into, uh, what if the next time I went into the drawer and, and it was, it was a, an alternate product? It was Accedrin, just an A for an E. So you kind of like, you know, when you're trying to save money and you buy like the knockoff brand and like you tell yourself it's the same, you tell yourself it tastes the same, but it doesn't quite, quite, quite kind of. And what if um, all of a sudden I gave her a different pill that had almost the same name, just one letter. I mean, just one letter. What's, what's the big deal about one letter? What's the big deal? I mean, isn't it just the same? It's just about one letter. But the only problem was inside wasn't pills to cure a headache anymore. It was uh, jelly beans was what is inside this bottle. Let's just say. Would the, would the headache be able to be cured? And clearly the answer is obviously and clearly not. And so we understand, obviously, that subtle changes... I had a whole thing written that I don't really want, I have time to get into, but like the story about what they did to McDonald's fries and how they used to be like the best and then they changed the oil and now they're like kind of gross. Anyways, I won't bore you with the five minutes I had prepared on that. The point is that we all understand, uh, it was, <laughs> I had to do a little research, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So we understand that when it comes to medicine or most other things, that subtle changes can make giant differences. But often we think with spiritual things and operate with the idea that like, sincerity is all that matters, and it isn't that big of a deal if we view things differently. That's what he's saying. He's saying, do you notice also that, that the subtle changes that they're bringing in, notice that he uses the word there in the middle of the verse, secretly. Uh, you can tell this if you ever go, uh, I, I told you, we're just trying to tell the truth today. If you go to the train station down the street here in Palatine, where I spend a lot of time, uh, you'll often see two Jehovah's Witnesses set up, and they're trying to talk to people. And they have a sign that says something like, do you want to learn about Jesus. 
and they would tell you that we're the same. If you want to talk to those ladies, I've talked to them plenty of times. I'm nice to them. Uh, I try to be. Uh, I don't like throw coffee in their face or anything like that because uh, they have, uh, I don't know if you know much about Jehovah's Witnesses, but they, uh, and Mormons, very similar. They both have something similar where they would say that Jesus Christ is uh, a son of God, not the son of God. Or he is, uh, he is a God, not the God. And it's just a very small little, I mean, what's a preposition? What's, a, what's an article? What's the difference? But it changes everything because our faith is built on the foundation. John 14, 6, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But it's subtle, do you see? So he continues on with the text. He says, many of them, in verse 2, he says, the point here is that the people who pervert the truth are coming to destruction. He says, many of them will follow their sensuality. So these people that are perverting the truth, aren't going to live the way that God wants them to live. And because of that, the truth will be blasphemed. In fact, in their, their greed, they're going to exploit you with false words. And their condemnation from long ago, he's saying it's not, it's not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. He makes an interesting point in verse 2 that I think a lot of you would resonate with. I certainly do. He says that because of the way the people who say they have faith but don't actually have faith, live, all of us get a bad reputation. So it means that when it says, because of them, the way of truth will be, will be blasphemed, just by show of hands, who's ever had the experience of someone being like, if that person is what a person of faith is like, count me out. Ever had that, ever had that experience? I mean, if we feel that, just imagine how the people out there who don't know Jesus feel. He's explaining why. Uh, I was doing some research on this this week, and this was interesting. Here's an example of what I mean by the way that uh, the people who don't actually have it, the way they act, and it ruins things for everybody. You may have heard it said before um, that Christianity is like a patriarchal religion that is unkind to women, or that women are not safe in Christianity because of the things that we believe. This is interesting. Uh, research shows the most violent husbands in America are nominal evangelical Protestants who attend church infrequently or not at all. Yet, the lowest rates of domestic violence are found in committed church-going couples. So we know, obviously, of course, there's exceptions to every rule, but this is what the research shows. What the research shows is that people who kind of have some of the biblical words floating around in their head and, and kind of have some sense of the order of God's creation but the faith isn't actually real, those people are the ones that are giving Christians a bad name. People who are committed to actually understanding that what the Bible mainly teaches about the man's role is sacrifice, service, protection, and care. Do you see the difference? That's secular research that proves the point that Peter's making in this letter we're studying from 2,000 years ago. He's making the same point. It's the people who have the fake view, the, the wrong understanding of faith that m give us a bad reputation for everybody else. And Peter says, so, just so we're clear, they're going to exploit you, but be of good courage. The end of verse 3, the thing that's coming their direction, nothing can stop it. The thing that's coming their way is on its way, even if it seems like it's taking 
a long time. God will punish those who pervert his truth, but protect those who preserve it. God is going to punish those who take his truth and make it into something else, and he's going to protect the people who stand strong in it. Here's a, he's using this word heresy. Heresy is not just like, um, I like church where it's a little quieter. Heresy is not like, I think it's weird that the people don't dress up here. It's not small things. It's the core message of the faith being perverted. Here's three. Uh, these are modern heresies that are all around us right now. One, uh, this is not true. It is not true when people say a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. Who's ever heard that one before? Let's just be honest. Let's be honest in church today. Who's ever rolled that around in their head? And it, it does kind of feel like something you got to wrestle around with. Anyone ever felt like that? Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. So uh, this is... Uh, it's everywhere. I mean, if you're like in any of the social media realms or any of the places where people are talking, there's people saying all the time, a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. And it pushes people back on their heels. And what happens if a loving God wouldn't send people to hell? The obvious next thing is then let, we should be able to live however we want because a loving God would let us do whatever we want. And a loving God would put up with whatever we do. And a love, it's, it's, uh, just the same sort of as like a loving parent would never discipline their children or, or a loving bank owner would never lock the safe at the end of the night. Or it, it, it's an idea that upon rigor doesn't totally make a ton of sense. Uh, we're not going to go through the whole thing today, but I would just suggest that the amazing thing isn't that a loving God would send anyone to hell. The amazing thing is that a loving God would send any sinner to heaven. The astonishing truth is that God would save anyone at all. But that, that it's a heresy, and it's everywhere. Uh, a second modern heresy, you'll see this all over the place, is that all good people go to heaven no matter what higher power they believe in. This is everywhere, right? This is everywhere. And the idea is like, you just got to kind of like pick a lane, and uh, as long as you pick a lane and you're like a good boy or girl about it, then, then you're cool which is another like thought, it kind of sounds good with the first time it enters your ear, but the more you think about it, it doesn't, like, it doesn't really make like a ton, ton, ton of sense. Why would a person put clothing on and drive over in the rain and worship a God who doesn't always give them everything that they want when they want? If you could just like lay at home and not do anything and get the same Reward or believe in some other version of a religion where you could just do whatever you want. Again, it doesn't, but it's everywhere is this idea that as long as you believe in something, it doesn't matter what that something is. This is not true. The third one is a little more uh, tight, but I think it's also true. There's a lot of people out there that believe that Jesus came to earth to make you healthy and wealthy. Like, um, this is like Jesus as your life coach. Jesus as your personal trainer, investment advisor, stylist. And he goes with you to Nordstrom, make sure you got like the right jacket for the fall season and, and make sure that, and the idea is that Jesus' role in our life is to make our life better in the here and now. It completely shifts the idea of a king who is worthy of our worship. And uh, this is everywhere in the church today. It's everywhere in big kind of extravagant forms. It is also everywhere in subtle forms. And in both, it's this idea that, so we come to church so that God will be happy. 
Because when God's happy with us, you know what he does, Steve? He gives us whatever we want. And it's, it's, again, it's a complete reversal. These are some modern heresies. So what he's saying there about things like this, see it there, it's in verse 3, their con condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. He's saying just because the bill hasn't come due doesn't mean it isn't coming soon. Just because the bill hasn't come due doesn't mean it isn't coming soon is the point that he's making. And the language is about to get even more uh, explosive in the next section. And uh, sometimes we've lowered our view of who God is so much that it's hard for us to imagine a God who actually has feelings of anger or outrage or frustration at the choices that we make. Uh, like we're told often, you know, Jesus wants to be your friend. And, uh, and he, we emphasize the fact that he came to earth for us. And these are true things, but there's this other side too, that he's a, he's a holy God who commands everyone everywhere to come to repentance in his name. And God does not find it charming when we lie to other creations that he's made, other people in the world, when we lie to other people about the truth of who Jesus is, he doesn't find it like cute and sort of charming like that thing that I do all the time where you're, you're like, I know I'm supposed to be disciplining one of the kids, but I actually think what they did is kind of funny. So I'm like, kind of like laughing, like inside my shirt, turning the other way while I discipline anyone ever like, yeah, right, totally. We got a bunch of people in this service with young kids and they do hilarious stuff, but you know you're supposed to discipline them. So you sort of do, even though that's not the way at all that God finds it when we pervert his truth. So the, Peter now gives three examples all the way back from Genesis. He says, first, do you remember uh, the thing when uh, Genesis 6? For when, if God didn't spare the angels when they sinned, uh, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. That's his first example. So the point that he's trying to make is God's judgment will happen. So do you remember the thing with the angels? Now, I don't have time to, to do the whole thing this morning, but if you've never read the book of Genesis chapter 6 and you're at all like a Lord of the Rings, Star Wars kind of person, I promise you're going to dig it. It's very weird. Genesis chapter 6 is a story about how angels came out of heaven and took on human form as men and then tried to mate with women on earth as female and tried to create some sort of like half male, half female. I know, I, don't give me the look. It's in the Bible that I'm holding and you're holding too. If you never read it, hmm. Gave up on that year in the Bible all the way before Genesis chapter 6, huh? Yeah, I see how it is. I see how it is. It's fascinating stuff, and it's in the Bible. But here's the point that he's making. When the angels went against what God wanted, he didn't spare judgment. Then he's the second. Do you remember the story of Noah? He didn't spare the ancient world. When the ancient world got more and more and more and more and more sinful, it says that God was sorry that he made man, and so he destroyed the whole world in a flood except for Noah and his seven family members. A herald of righteousness, it says, he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. That's not a fable or a fairy tale. That really happened. Noah's Ark, by the way, just as an aside for fun, is uh, one of the most commonly agreed upon and attested things that has ever happened in world history. If you've looked online, you could find easily or study yourself that every ancient civilization has a story that they talk about, about a time when the flood destroyed, a flood destroyed the whole world. It's everywhere. And at the end of the flood, then it, it, he says again, then. In verse 6, he says, now, also remember, third example, angels, Noah, the third example, 
Do you remember when he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes? He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah were two cities. They were known for their evil. They were known for their evil. They were known for their despicable ways of acting. God got fed up with it and sent fire from heaven and destroyed, reducing it to ashes to make them an example. It's a, there's something about seeing something that gives you perspective. I don't know if this has happened to anybody else, but uh, I've been driving by Arlington Park down the street over there like my entire life and uh, seeing it, has, anybody, you, has everybody driven by and seen it now that it's like sort of half there and destroyed? And it, it just kind of like, it's, it's like, it's just a weird thing to see something that was so large and majestic be reduced to rubble. And for me, it, it has a way of saying, uh, soon this life will be passed. Only what's done or invested in Christ will last. It has this way of saying no matter what man builds and how impressive it is, soon it will be reduced to nothing. This is what he's saying about Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, uh, yeah, do you remember we destroyed that whole city was just not like in wreckage. It was just gone, burned to the ground. Making them an example, it says, of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Then he goes a different direction in verse 7. We're almost at the end now. He says, but do you remember that he, he rescued righteous Lot? Lot was uh, Abraham's, Abraham's nephew, and he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, do you remember that we rescued him? Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, it says. And then it goes into a parenthesis. He was a righteous man who lived in that city day by day, and it says that he was tormenting. That's like um, ripping himself from the inside out over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. I got to just pause. I, um, I'm not saying that I'm a righteous man like Lot, but I, I felt that when I read that, I felt that. Does anyone ever feel that? Like when I see what's happening in the world around me, just encourage somebody in the room. Does anybody ever feel that way? When I see what's happening in the world around me, I'm just like, it's, it, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's wrong. I just, I know that it's wrong. And it just, it grieves my soul and hurts my spirit to see people miserable in their sin yet not finding a way yet to reach for their savior. And he says, do you know, he was right in the middle of that every day, bringing us to the punchline of the whole message in verse nine. He says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Lot was right in the middle of that place, yet God brought him and kept him safe. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. God's gonna punish those who pervert his truth and he's going to protect those who preserve it. Uh, we try pretty hard. Um, a thought, a story, a scripture, and then we're done. I think we try appropriately pretty hard um, in our world today, like not to call very many things evil. Like most people, most people are like um, stupid more than evil or, or foolish more than evil. Do you know like the difference? It's like, I don't know if you ever feel this, like most of the dumb things that I do aren't things that I meant to do. It's sort of like, oh, wow, I didn't hear how that was going to sound coming out of my mouth. I'm so sorry, person I'm talking to, or you may experience this. Evil is a, is a deeper level where the intent is destruction from the beginning. But there is evil in the world, and I don't think that we're honoring God by refusing to call it what it is. Here's a few examples. Uh, I think that what we see from that person, um, I think, is evil. 
It's a, I'm going to take what I want and I'm going to destroy what I want. And I don't, and we don't need to like get into the, like, I wonder how he was raised and maybe therapy could help him. Like thing that we, we, our society tends to do to people, all that may be true, but a lot of innocent people are being hurt because of the way that this person acts, that's evil. Um, this was evil. I don't know if you remember this story from a few years ago uh, in Flint, Michigan. Do you remember this story in Flint, Michigan, where they like changed where the water was coming into the city in a way that they never would have done if it was like Inverness or Barrington, if you're catching my drift? And they, they made it so that people were drinking water that was making them and their children sick as a way of trying. It's, that's not a mistake or a mess up. It's evil to put someone at risk because they don't probably, you think, have the power to fight back. And when that's done in racial dimensions, which that story seems pretty clearly was, it is not a mistake, it's evil. The third one is even harder for a lot of reasons for a lot of people, but I think that this is evil too. And what is evil about it is not all of the people who are confused by it. I don't think all the people that are confused by it are evil. But the agenda in the world today to tell people that they are nothing more or less than what they feel right now and to give them all kinds of confusing ways to go about sorting out the pain that they're in, it doesn't help them. It hurts them. And there's lots of confused people. So hear me say it as loud and straight as I know how to say it. There's a lot of people trapped inside of that who are confused and not evil but the agenda driving it is evil. And this is, uh, you could take that down. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but um, <laughs> I don't like being the person in the world who's gotta be like the, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. I don't know if you ever feel that way. Like it, it's not a, I guess like some people enjoy being all weird and negative and contrarian, and like, you're bad, you're bad. They're like all probably, I don't know, sports referees or something, or accountants, you know, or whatever, IRS agents. They, that's like their vibes. But, I, and this has happened to me um, a few times lately. I'll never forget this. Um, and I'm just hoping we can all kind of, we resonate and meet here. Um, a little over a year ago, I was, we were right here in this room. It was a summer afternoon. I was teaching, and um, I made, I was teaching that day about, this amazing truth in scripture that Jesus was tempted in all the ways like we are. And said, like, I don't understand that exactly, but it means that there's nothing that you feel or experience that Jesus can't meet you right there. And I just said kind of as an aside, like if you're, if you're same-sex attracted or you're confused about your gender, Jesus can meet you right there. He was tempted in all ways as we are. And I did the same thing that I always do. You guys have seen me do it. If you've been here, I, like, I went out that door, I propped it open, and I went outside so that all the people that try to escape before I can say hi to them. Oh no, there I am, I'm right there on the sidewalk meeting you there, <laughs> friendly pastor. Uh, and this, this woman, who I like, kinda knew, came towards me and she like, had her finger like this. And she like, right on my like, uh, you know like, that part where like, it's your breastbone I guess that's called, like where the two bones come together like right here. She like smacked me like, she said, how dare you? Just like that. How dare you? And I'm not going to keep doing the voice, but the idea was, how dare you say that a person who's confused about their gender is being tempted? How dare you? How dare you? She like, kind of like made a scene and then, uh, and then was off to her car. And I don't know if you ever had one of those conversations. I didn't really say anything. It was kind of more like a one-way. 
And then I've never seen her, you know, since or whatever. And, um, and uh, I don't know if you ever feel this way. This isn't about me. This is about all of us. I, like, hate that feeling. Like, I don't, I, like, I love people. I want people to show up in this church and find a place to be loved, a place to be understood, a place to be accepted as they are. Like, who cares? Smoke in the parking lot if you want. Like, whatever. That's the vibe that we have here, and I love it. And I don't have, I don't have, like, in my spirit that, like, I love telling people that they're in their sin. I'm sure a lot of us are like that here. And it really bugged me. Um, obviously, um, bugs me a little bit right now. And, uh, we are chosen by God, you and me, to live in this time in history where to believe the truth about what God says is right and wrong puts us in the position of often coming across as a angry, hateful, bigoted, whatever to the people around us. And I don't like it. Like if I could opt out and be in like a different thing that was all about like being pro everybody, everything, I would totally, I like other than Packers fans, everybody, you know? Like, that's my spirit and where I, my heart is on everything. But what our text says to us today is that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And that says a couple of really important things to me. One it says that no matter how challenging, the reason why he uses Lot is from what we know of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was the most immoral, disgusting, like base, I don't know, you know, Amsterdam, Bangkok, the Vegas Strip, and more kind of place in the world. And he was right in the middle of it. And it made him so miserable because of the sin of the people around him. Yet God brought him through anyway which says to me that no matter how challenging it is for you or for me to be right here in the 2020s in this time, God is going to help us find our way through the culture that we sometimes hate being part of. And God's judgment is on its way to the people who refuse to bow the knee to the truth about who he is. And we always pause right there to say this is partly where we get off track. It's, it's not our job to bring the judgment. It's not our job to bring the judgment. It's God's job to bring the judgment in his way and in his time and in his day. But if I can't offer, some of us need to strengthen up a little bit. And stand for the truth of who Jesus is. Stand for the truth that is clearly revealed to us in scripture. Not kind of fall into that middle stuff that's so easy to get trapped inside of where everything is the same and we're all sort of on the same team. Now, there's like a lot of people that say that they have faith that don't have faith at all. We don't need to go like point at them, but we got to get stronger in knowing what is true and stronger in our sense that, yeah, it's not so great, but God put us here right now and this is what we're here for. This is what he's got us here for right now, right in this place. And uh, so I just wonder if we could just wrap our minds, you can put that uh, phrase that I brought today around. If we could just wrap our minds around this truth, that's our truth for God's word today. God will punish all of those who pervert his truth. He will. The text says it over and over and over and over. You don't have to worry. God's alarm clock isn't going to not go off. He's not going to like mess it up. He's not going to miss it. God has got it. He has got punishment of the wicked completely under control. 
And God is going to protect those who preserve his truth. And so in the ways that we're teaching our families, in the ways that we're encouraging each other, in the ways that we're walking through the world, God will protect those who preserve his truth. That's what I came to say today in Jesus' name. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.